0: Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 14, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles or follow along on the screen, it's from verse 22 to verse 33. Okay, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God.
1: Faith. Is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not yet see, according to the writer of Hebrews. Fear, on the other hand, according to the dictionary, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the threat of danger, pain, failure, or harm. You and I have a choice in our lives. We have a choice individually. We have a choice corporately as a church. Will we be people who allow our lives to be gripped by fear, or will we be people who make a decision to live by faith? In Hebrews chapter 11, There's a chapter full of people that we've come to know as heroes of the faith. As we read through that chapter, it kind of archives many things that they achieved in their lives. And each of their mentions starts with the same little phrase, the two-word phrase that says, by faith. Now, we think of them as heroes of the faith, people who were extraordinary in one way or another, but the truth is, when you read their full story in all of its entirety, that They are very average, ordinary people who make mistakes just like you and me. But the one thing they had in common is that they were people who lived by faith, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Jacob, by faith Moses. Over and over again, they were people who lived by faith. They weren't extraordinary people, but they were willing to put their faith in an extraordinary God. The thing about faith is that faith motivates, faith propels, faith equips, faith inspires, faith enables, while fear does the exact opposite. It cripples us, it paralyzes, stunts, it discourages, it thwarts, and it stops us from moving forward. I'm choking. <clears throat> the first 12 months of life here at Follow Baptist Church have been absolutely extraordinary. Um, I, I hope you realize that what's happening here is not normal for a 12-month-old church. Um, God's grace has been on us in wonderful ways, and we have so much to be grateful for. And today is a celebration. It's not a celebration of us. It's a celebration of Jesus and all that he's doing in our midst. And over the last 12 months, because Jesus has been our vision, it's enabled us uh, many times to step out in faith over and over and over again. As a church, we have a DNA desire. As part of our core beliefs that we want to be a people on mission. And each time we've stepped out, we've seen God actually um, work in supernatural ways. i found that before we even start to push on doors, God's kind of flinging doors open. Uh, It's extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it in ministry life. And it's so encouraging and it's so exciting. And I've got to say, I feel incredibly humbled to be part of what God is doing in and through this church. But the temptation would be, 12 months down the track, Uh, to get comfortable, to kind of be happy where we're at, to think to ourselves, well, we've made it. And we could just sort of start settling in and going through the motions, patting ourselves on the back and saying, well, we've got a great bunch of people here. We've got a great community. It's a great place to be. It's warm and it's friendly. And we can say well done to each other. But the truth is that there are many people in our local community. In fact, the vast majority of people in our community who don't yet know or love Jesus. They don't yet know or experience the joy that we experience in Him. And more heartbreakingly, they're heading for eternity without Him. And that should break our hearts. And it should motivate us to be people on mission and to be people who are content but never satisfied. Because there's always more people that can come to know Him. And so because of that, there are going to be many times where God asks us to step out by faith. And so we've got a decision to make. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to be gripped by fear? Today's passage has Jesus at the very center. But there's another character who's central in this story as well. And he becomes an object lesson for each of us in both areas of faith, but also fear. Now, his name's Peter. And from scripture and from the gospels, we know a bit about Peter. We know he's that guy that says inappropriate things at inappropriate times. If you've got someone like that next year today, give them a nudge, and they know who they are. But there's so many people like that, and Peter was one of those people. He said the wrong things at the wrong time, and he was hasty in his actions. Rowan's got a sore rib. He just got nudged really <laughs> on both sides. But Peter spoke before he thought, and he was always hasty in what he did. And In our estimations, I think sometimes, even though he was a bit like that, he also often gets a rough go. And when all things are considered, and when you go through this story, I've got to say that I'd rather be Peter than any of the other disciples in this story. The story starts immediately after Jesus has just fed the 5,000. It's been a big day, and so he sends the disciples off ahead of him to a place called Bethsaida, and he goes up onto a mountainside to pray. And during the fourth watch of the night, the NIV says, um, just before dawn, probably sometime in between 3 and 6 a.m., As Jesus is praying, he looks out and he sees them and he walks out to them on the lake. Now, the story is recorded here in Matthew chapter 14, but it's also recorded in Mark chapter four. And it says in that account that Jesus saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And so the context of this story is that the disciples are out in the middle of a lake on a boat in the middle of a storm and they're in trouble. In the midst of the storm... Jesus appears walking on the water. I've got to say, I love that about Jesus. In the good times of life, he's there. In the in-between times of life, he's there. But right in the midst of the storms of life, where do we find Jesus? We find him right there in the midst of it with us. I love that about him, that he never leaves us. No matter how scared we are, no matter how many things are raging around us, no matter how out of control it feels, Jesus is always there. The disciples see him out on the water, And the passage tells us that they are terrified because they don't recognize him. They look out and they see this figure on the water and they're terrified because they think he's a ghost. And in verse 27, Jesus, understanding their fear, says these words. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I want you to note at this point of the story that none of the circumstances have changed. The storm is still raging. The waves are still crashing against the boat and the struggle between life and death it's still incredibly real. And yet in the midst of it all, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Perhaps today this is a word for some people here today. In fact, last night as I was praying over this passage, I felt that it was. Some of you are in the midst of a storm in your life. All sorts of things may be happening. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe you're struggling with with all sorts of areas of life and you feel like you're in the midst of a storm. Well, I believe Jesus' words to the disciples when they're on that boat in that storm are the same words that he has for us today. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus is the source of true faith. The disciples didn't have to be afraid because they got a vision of Jesus. Peter, being one of the disciples, he had a vision and he <laughs> saw Jesus there on the lake. And for us as a church, I think that's an incredibly important thing that we are people who need to have vision. Follow about the church, we've talked a lot about our vision. Over and over again, we've talked about what our vision is. Can anyone tell me what our vision is? Excellent. Our vision is one word. Our vision is one person. Our vision is Jesus. He's the one we look to. And so our vision is Jesus. Our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. And so we have a very simple vision. And people have said to me over the last 12 months, look, Jesus, that's not a vision. Well, I respectfully disagree because he's the one we look to. He's the saviour of our sins. He's the creator of all things. He's our role model for life. He's our joy. He's our strength. He's our courage. He's our provider. He's the source of true love. He's the only hope we have for the future. Amen. Jesus is our vision. And he's the one who allows us to have faith despite our circumstances. Bill Hybels defines vision this way. He says, vision is a picture of the future of that produces passion. Let me say that again. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. The kind of future you look at and you go, wow, I can get excited about that. Uh, I've always been a big believer that people give to vision. Um, Dave Young will tell you since the moment I met him, I've been like a broken record that we need to be people who have vision because people give to vision. They give their time, they give their energy, they give their passion. They give their finance, they give their resources. They will literally lay down their lives if they have a vision of the future that ignites their heart with passion, particularly if it's a God-honoring vision. Now, why is it that martyrs all around the world are dying every day for their faith? Why is it that they would be willing to be beheaded before they deny Jesus Christ? Well, the only reason that's possible is that the Holy Spirit's done something in their life and their vision of the future, what Jesus has promised, is worth giving up their life in the present. You see, they've been gripped by a vision that Jesus has given them. People have all sorts of visions in life. Some people have a vision to retire by the age of 40. I've got three years to go. Some people want to become a millionaire. Some people have a vision to travel the world. Others have a vision to get married and have kids. Some people's vision is to leave a huge inheritance for their children. That's a really good one. My parents are here today. Write that one down. (laughs) Actually, my kids are here. Scrap that one. People have all sorts of different visions for their lives. But what I believe is that Jesus produces passion in the human heart In greater ways than anything or anyone else can. Jesus produces passion in the human heart in greater ways than anyone or anything else can. Now we have to look at this world for two minutes to realise that there are constant reminders that things are broken. Just this week we've had terrorist attacks, we've had innocent people shot dead, we've had police officers killed in broad daylight. We've seen the profound effects of racism and injustice and immense suffering right throughout our planet. Even in our local community, each week we can go down to Burke Park or we can serve breakfast at a local secondary college and we can be surrounded by people from broken families. Some people who have no food to eat, no house to live in, people who are hurting, lonely, people who've been abused, people who feel lost. And it's heartbreaking when you look at what's going on in the world around us. But in the break backdrop of all the brokenness that we see in our world, all the pain and suffering. In the backdrop of that, Jesus paints a picture of the future that produces passion when he opens our eyes to it. When Jesus comes into our life, he takes the veil off our eyes and he opens up our eyes to see a new vision for life. And his picture of the future actually goes beyond anything that is possible, humanly speaking. He promises when he returns that every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Now think about all the heartbreak. Think about all the tears that are cried every day, every tragic circumstance. And yet when Jesus returns, he says as he establishes his kingdom, every tear will be wiped away from every eye. He tells us that death will be completely defeated. Sin will be destroyed. There will be no more suffering, no more injustice, no more evil, no more pain. But the vision of the future he paints for us is that we will live with him in complete joy, unimaginable peace, immeasurable love, perfect relationship between God and us, unbroken relationship with one another. It's a beautiful picture of the future. It's the kind of vision that when we get a hold of it, when it grips our heart, it makes us go, wow, that's a vision I can give my life to. That's a vision I'm created for. That's a vision that I long for. That's a vision I want to be part of. And when we put our faith in Jesus, the scriptures teach us that he pours his Holy Spirit into our heart. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a deposit. And the Holy Spirit actually guarantees our future. And so we don't have to cross our fingers and hope for the best. We can know that in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that we are guaranteed that's our future. That's our destiny. That's what we have to look forward to. And that should make us incredibly passionate. It's wonderful news. We don't deserve it. And yet Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. That's the gospel. One of the things that excites me most about being a Christian is not just the hope for the future, even though that is absolutely wonderful. What also excites me is the part that Jesus invites us to play in the present, that he's calling us to play a role right now. You see, Jesus, since the cross is reversing the effects of sin, he's redeeming all things to himself, and he's on a mission, and he invites you and me as followers of Christ to be part of that mission. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a great prayer to pray. Now, how does God's will get done on earth as it happens in heaven? Well, it happens through God's people. And so he calls you and me to be his hands and feet, to be his representatives, to be those that represent him to the world around and share the good news of the gospel. He invites you and me to be his co-workers. It's incredible that God would invite us to work with him in this redemption mission. And so when we're setting up and packing up on a miserable night at the food van, sloshing around in the mud at about 10 o'clock, when we're serving breakfast at a secondary college at the crack of dawn, when we're putting together care packs for those in need, when we're helping each other out in difficult circumstances, when we're building one another up and encouraging one another, we can do it all with joy in our heart and with a smile on our face because our vision is Jesus. And we're looking to him. We have a picture of who he is. We have a promise of what the future holds. And we have a command of what he wants us to do. And he calls us to do in the present. And so even when the world around us seems so difficult at times, Jesus is there with us on this mission. And he says, don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. And so we need to be people who have a vision. Peter had a vision. But we also need to be people who step out in faith. In verse 28 of today's passage, It says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, took a step of faith, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Now, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. When I go to theme parks, the higher, the faster, the more dangerous, the more scary, the better. I love rides like that. I want to go skydiving, it's on the bucket list. I want to do skydiving one day. I've already done bungee jumping twice. And I remember bungee jumping, the adrenaline that flows through your veins as you stand up on a platform and you look 35 meters over the edge. And you think, I'm about to leave a perfectly good platform and jump headfirst down into the water down there. And I remember the adrenaline and the excitement, but I also remember the fear. It's pretty scary getting ready to plunge off a platform like that. And you hear the guy counting down. He says, three, three, Two, one, go, jump, and, and you plunge forward. And I've got to tell you that step of faith, head first, is incredibly scary. I can just imagine Peter standing in the boat, maybe counting down in his head. Jesus has said, "Come, uh, three, two, one." I didn't sink. Can you imagine how he would have been feeling? It would have been incredibly scary. And this is the part of the story where I think Peter gets a rough go. He's in a precarious situation. The waves are smashing the boat. They're fighting for their lives. And in the midst of that, he stands up on an unsteady boat and he steps out of the one thing that's saving his life. He steps out of the boat. It's incredible faith. But he gets an incredibly hard time. One of the commentators I read this week said this. He said, this is typical of impetuous Peter. Typical of him. And I just think that's, that's pretty tough because he's just taken an incredible step of faith. We need to understand there's going to be times where we take steps of faith and we're going to face criticism. People are going to say, that's stupid. People are going to say, that makes no sense. People are going to say, that's not achievable. People are going to say, you're crazy. But sometimes that's what faith's all about. It's stepping out and trusting the one that we've fixed our eyes on. And he's Jesus, the one who can do all things. Stepping out of the boat would have taken huge faith. And I want you to notice in this story, he's the only disciple that steps out of the boat. There's no one else stepping out. I'd much rather be him to to die wondering than to stay where it's safe and secure. Peter stepped out of the boat. The other thing I want you to notice is this, that Jesus is the one who encourages him to do it. This is not just impetuous Peter. Peter asked the question if it's you, Lord. Do you want me to come? He says, Come, step out of the boat. Jesus invites us over and over again in life to step out in faith. And that's exactly what he's doing with Peter. And Peter was trusting Jesus for the impossible. And because he got a vision of who Jesus was, and because he took a step of faith, the end result is that he walked on water. To put that in context. He did something that, humanly speaking, is impossible, and no one else in the history of the universe has done apart from Jesus. And it's all because he fixed his eyes on Christ, and he took a step of faith. It's his vision that caused him to take that step, and it led to supernatural results. You know, the Christian life of discipleship will challenge us over and over again to take steps of faith which make no sense whatsoever, humanly speaking. There will be times when God asks you and me to make great sacrifices, whether it's changing career, quitting a job, giving our time to serve, selling our homes, sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know him, sacrificially sowing finances into the kingdom, beginning or ending relationships, forgiving others, sometimes changing parts of our character that need to change because the Holy Spirit has prompted us in that area. And all those things will cost us significantly. They, you know Salvation's free, but the kingdom of God costs. To follow Jesus, he you said you've got to lay your life down, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. There's an incredible cost to following Jesus. And I think that the only way that we can ever make the sacrifices that God's going to call us to make in the future is if we keep our eyes on Jesus. I believe that we're at the very beginning of an incredibly exciting journey here at Follow. I believe that God is using this church to have a massive transformational impact on our community that's going to keep increasing. I believe that Pakenham and Officer and the surrounding regions will be better places to live because God's called us to be here. And each of us is filled with the Holy Spirit. As we spread out into our community, we take light into spaces that are dark. I believe that people's lives will be turned upside down, inside out, right side up, Because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to use us to preach the gospel and see people saved. But to truly live out this call, we're going to need to keep stepping out in faith. We're going to need to get out of the boat. We're going to need to leave our comfort zones, to be people on mission, to be people who are willing to go. Like Isaiah Isaiah said, here I am, send me. We need to be those kinds of people. And the only way we can do that is if we keep our eyes on Jesus. So we need to have a vision. Our vision is Jesus. Jesus. Good, well done, Sanjeev. Now that's why he's an elder. We have a vision, Jesus. We need to take steps of faith. But the third and final point is just as important as the other two. And it's this, that we need to keep trusting Jesus. You see, it's one thing to step out. But it's another thing to keep trusting, even when things don't work out like we expect. Even when the storms come. As I said at the start of this message, Peter is an object lesson for us in faith, but he's also an object lesson for us in fear. I don't know about you, but for us as a family, there have been many times where we've been been in desperate situations and God has come through in what I can only describe as supernatural ways at exactly the right moment. And it builds incredible faith when God comes through, when, when you are running out of options, when you've got no one else to turn to except him and he comes through. It's incredible for your faith. But I'm also embarrassed to stand here and say that Some of those times, just a little bit after that, when facing similar circumstances, I've failed to have faith, but I've actually responded with fear. Now, all of us have different fears in life, don't we? Just this week, we had our second leadership meeting with our new leaders, and on a bit of a tangent, I I should say that I think you can have incredible faith in the people that you've appointed, or the people ultimately that God has appointed to lead this church. We are very blessed to have a group of passionate, gifted leaders And in the two times that we have met so far, I've looked around the table and thought to myself, how did I get here? These people are incredible. I feel like the odd one out. But it's a real blessing to have leaders like that. And in the first two times we've got together, we've spent a a fair bit of time getting to know each other. I'm a big big believer that leadership is most effective when we lead from relationship, when we actually love one another and serve one another and, and live out the gospel with one another. That's when leadership is most effective. And so we've spent a bit of time getting to know each other. And one of the things we did was we asked some random questions of our leaders. Some of them were serious and some of them were a bit more fun. Um, And one of the questions we asked was, what is your greatest fear? Now, what happens in our leadership meetings stays in our leadership meetings most of the time. The only exception is when something is said there that makes a great sermon illustration, which is the current situation uh, and one of our leaders was asked, what is your greatest fear? Now, I'm not going to disclose the identity of this leader, except to say that his name begins with an R, ends with a Y, and there's one letter in between, and his name's not Roy. And you, you'll never guess who it is, but he's a policeman, and that probably won't give it away either. And so when we asked the question of this t- big, tough policeman, what is your greatest fear? I was really excited about the answer. I had bated breath. What's he going to say? Like, is my greatest fear that I won't lock up every criminal in this region? Or, or is my greatest fear that I'll get you know, kidnapped by a, a vicious gang who'll torture me? I'm thinking, this is going to be so exciting. I've got like Indiana Jones in mind and you know, all these exciting things. And in quite a um, subdued voice, after a couple of minutes of considering his answer, he said, I don't really like spiders and you don't know who it is so I can say this but that was incredibly wimpy incredibly wimpy but we all have different fears don't we we all have different fears I mean lots of women are scared of spiders I've got to stop there I got the look others have a fear of public speaking some have a fear of rejection a fear of failure, a fear in relationships. Even in church, we have fears, don't we? I mean, 12 months, we've seen God do incredible things, and yet the fear will creep in. Are we going to have enough leaders? Will we have enough finance? Will we have uh, enough wisdom to hear God's voice? Will we continue to have God's favor on us as a church? And so often the doubts creep in. And I think the devil wants to use fear to cripple us. He wants us to be so scared and so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we take our eyes off the one that we serve. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above every other name, the one who can do all things with him. There's nothing that's impossible. The devil wants us to get our eyes off Jesus. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Can't even see wind. And beginning to sink, he cried out. He said, Lord, save me. I want you to picture this for a moment. He steps out of the boat. He's looking at Jesus. And he's literally walking on water. It's incredible. Imagine the faith. I just try to picture what I'd be like in this moment. You know, you take a step. You've got your nose blocked, you unblock your nose, you're walking on water. Every step you take, your faith would be building. I mean, I'd be looking back at the other disciples and going, no, no, you know, I'm the only one who stepped out. That's just me though. I know you wouldn't do that. But every step I took, I would be, my faith would be growing. I'd be looking at Jesus thinking, man, uh, this guy can do anything. In fact, later in the passage, they yell out, surely this guy's the son of God and my faith will be growing. I can defeat a whole army by myself. I can climb the highest mountain. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And he's walking towards Jesus, looking into his eyes. And then he looks at the waves for a split second, and he starts to sink. Seems crazy, doesn't it? He's staring at God himself. He's seen Jesus heal people, the blind, the mute, the lame. He's seen him cast out demons. He seen him turn water into wine. Just that very same day, he saw him take two little fish, five loaves of bread, break it, bless it, and feed up to 15,000 people. Now he's literally walking on water, looking in the eyes of God, and he goes, ah, waves. Ah, wind. It seems crazy in the context of what he was doing. So the question I have is the same question I had at the start of the service. Will we be people who live our lives gripped by fear or will we continue to be people who live by faith? As soon as Peter took his eyes off Jesus and put them on the circumstances, he started to sink. And it will be the same with us if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. Scripture tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. We've taken some steps of faith and God has done some extraordinary things in our first 12 months. But I'm convinced in the years to come, the steps he's going to ask us to take will be even bigger in the future. And if we're going to be all that God's calling us to be, he's going to ask us to keep our eyes on him. He's going to ask us to keep stepping out. He's going to ask us to keep trusting him. The prayer of my heart is that in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years, God willing, the people when they talk about Follow Baptist Church will say these words. They'll say, by faith, they kept their eyes on Jesus. By faith, they stepped out of their comfort zone. By faith, they made sacrifices. By faith, they kept trusting him. And the result has been that God has done extraordinary and supernatural things in them and through them. Jesus says, take courage, it is I. Come to me and you'll be amazed at what I'll do.